and they said that insulin resistance statistically dropped in those who were infected with the hookworm larvae. Now, I don't know what in the world the side effects of having hookworms are. I, just the word worm in and of itself makes me a little leery. Hi, and welcome to the Solving Type 2 Diabetes Podcast. I'm Tom, and I'll be your host as I share what I'm doing in my daily life to solve my type 2 diabetes. Listen in as I share the food, movement, and tools that I'm using each day. This podcast is intended for entertainment purposes only. For a full transcript or to follow the Solving Type 2 Diabetes Podcast on social media, please head over to SolvingType2Diabetes.com for all those links and more. Now, on to the show. Well, thank you for joining me here for another episode of the Solving Type 2 Diabetes Podcast. I certainly appreciate that. I'm going to start off this week by asking you a favor that I ask almost every week, and I'm going to ask you to please share this podcast. The only way we're going to spread the word. The only way we're going to get the people out there, your neighbors, your friends, people that you care about to listen is if you would please share. Maybe just share with one person this week and that would help me a whole lot. So this has been a week at home for me. I got home just about eight days ago from a week of camping up in the Poconos and that was a lot of fun. Last episode I talked all about that. But this week, it's been a week at home, typical, relaxing, nice, easy week of retirement for me here at home. And I got out and about and did some activities, got in a lot of good walks out on my favorite rail trail, the Lebanon Valley Rail Trail. I walked different sections of it. I usually start off in a little village called Colebrook, not too far from my house, about, I don't know, 10 minute drive from my house. And I walk either towards Mount Gretna or I walk towards Lancaster in the south. But this time, because I was already a little bit further east, I got on the trail once at another area, Cornwall, which is just a little east of where I normally walk. But I was in that area anyway. So it's the same trail. The Lebanon Valley Rail Trail, I think, currently is about 21 miles long. And they are building on it right now. It's eventually, I think, going to reach into the Appalachian Trail north of Lebanon. But right now it goes from Lebanon City all the way down to the Lancaster County border. So I hopped on a different section. It was really nice. Over a mile of it was paved. Still in the trees, not out in the exposed sun. So it was still a very nice, enjoyable walk. And I did some other walks in that area, but all on my trail. But I did manage to get out every day this week. So It was a whole lot of fun that way. I had a lot of good activities, some family activities. We had a big family gathering yesterday at my brother's house. Now, it's nice. My brother lives only about maybe half a mile, three quarters of a mile from where I live. So it's nice to gather there or gather here. But we did have my aunt and my cousin and three of her children and a niece and different folks there, and we had a really good time. It was a good afternoon, lots of catching up with each other, so that was a fun day. But all in all, it's just been a a good week at home. 
So let's take a look at my numbers. I did manage to close my ring seven out of seven days this week. It was nice and easy. The weather was good. I had plenty of time. So I had no problem doing that whatsoever. I don't think it's been too recently that I did seven out of seven. I think it might have been a month or so. I've been doing about five out of seven, sometimes six out of seven, but this week it was seven out of seven days, so that's great. And when I say close my rings, I'm talking about my Apple Watch rings, my Apple Fitness rings. One ring for exercise calories burned, one ring for minutes of exercise, and one ring for standing at least a couple minutes, moving around at least a couple minutes for each hour. So that was a great week for that. My seven-day glucose average was 117, and that's a 24-7 reading off my continuous glucose monitor, my Libre 3 continuous glucose monitor. So a 24-7 average of 117 over the past week, and that's a little bit below the pre-diabetes level. Much better than it was a year ago, that's for sure. Body fat percentage is holding steady right at 21%. And I've been hovering there now for, I'm going to say, at least three or four months. So I'm comfortable with that. It's not quite where I want to be, but, you know, it's not a bad place to be either. My macros for the week, I averaged 74 grams of net carbohydrates each day for the past seven days, and I averaged 134 grams of protein each day. And that was with some protein shakes thrown in there, once in a while a Quest bar, or something like that, but 134 grams is right on target, really good. For my Manjaro update this week, it has been same stuff, different day. It's still the 7.5 milligram dose, and I'm not having any issues with that whatsoever. It's doing a great job with my A1C control. And I'm just enjoying the, the benefits without really any side effects, which is great. Now, my most recent prescription, which was for six months, did expire. I got down to my last box. I'm into my last box. And I went and asked for a refill, and the doctor sent in the refill to the pharmacy, and the pharmacy now is waiting on a pre-authorization. Now, I don't understand this whole medical industry business but the fact that I've been using Manjaro now under the doctor's care for about nine months, almost, yeah, about nine months, and it's been the same prescription now, refilled multiple times, and now they still need to get a pre-authorization. I don't get that, but, you know, I don't work for, well, maybe I do work for the health insurance companies. Maybe we all work for the health insurance companies. I'm not sure. But anyway, she called in that refill last Tuesday, I guess, and today is Sunday, and they're still waiting, so hopefully I get that soon. I do still have a couple of doses left, but, you know, I don't know why we have to push this to the last possible minute. For my challenge and win this week, it's been a calm week. I've been here at home, and I don't know that, honestly, I had a challenge. Maybe that in itself is a win, but I'll, I'll take it as a win. But it's been a calm week, and I enjoy that. I don't need extra stress or extra challenges if they don't come my way. I certainly won't go looking for them. So, uh, yeah, I'll take that as a win. So let's take a look at the news. 
The news for you this week, I gathered a few articles here that I think you'll find interesting. The first one is about the medication that I take that I just mentioned, the Monjaro. It's terzepatide, and this article is entitled, How to Decide if Terzepatide, or Monjaro, is the Right Type of Type 2 Diabetes Drug for You. And it says here that terzepatide can help lower A1C and support weight loss, but it's not right for everyone. And it says, here's what you should know. So this is by a medical doctor, Sandy Basson, MD. And it, get, it gets to be basically, it talks about what terzepatide is, and, and it talks about how it works, and how it's different from the medications sold as Ozempic. And it's, it's in the same, I'm going to say, class of medication, but Ozempic is only a GLP-1 agonist, and terzepatide is also GLP-1, but it's GIP as well. GIP is glucose-dependent insulotropic polypeptide. GLP-1 is a glucagon-like peptide 1. So this has basically two of these agonists, these polypeptides, and that's what's in the Manjaro, is the trizepatide. So basically it says here there's four questions you should be asking your doctor about terzepatide. And the first one is, could terzepatide work better than the drugs that you're currently taking? So if you're currently taking medication, then you know either they're working fine with no adverse effects, or they're not. If they're not, and maybe even if they are, but if, if you'd like to consider something different, talk to your doctor. Could terzepatide work better than what you're currently taking? Now, the second question is, does terzepatide, and again, terzepatide is sold as Manjaro, does terzepatide work without diet and exercise? Well, the FDA, the FDA approved this as a drug to be used in addition to diet and exercise for treating type 2 diabetes. So you might want to have a realistic expectation that it's not a it's not a miracle drug. While it does really do great things for your A1C and your insulin levels and your therefore your blood glucose levels, if you're also looking for weight loss, you're honestly not going to get weight loss without a calorie deficit. I mean that's just the fact. Now, a calorie is not a calorie is not a calorie. There's a whole lot of difference from eating 500 calories of Twinkies versus 500 calories of steak. Big difference. But nonetheless, overall, to lose weight, you do need to have a calorie deficit. So just taking an injection of Manjaro in and of itself isn't what does it. It's that the Manjaro helps you to not overeat. Manjaro helps you to not constantly be thinking about what you can eat next. Therefore, people do tend to eat less, and therefore people do tend to lose weight while using the Manjaro. I mean, I lost weight while using the Manjaro, but I also lost an equivalent amount of weight leading up to me starting Manjaro. So it, it certainly doesn't hurt, but it's not all that in and of itself. The third question to ask is, if I'm not overweight or obese, could terzepatide still be right for me? Now, typically, people with type 2 diabetes often are overweight. So it often goes hand in hand, but not always. So you really have to have a frank discussion. If you're not overweight, is terzepatide the medication for you? Because if you're not overweight, 
chances are you don't have an issue of overeating. And if you don't have an issue of overeating, there might be medications more properly suited to you than the terzepatide, but something to ask your doctor. The fourth question is, and this is a big one, how much will terzepatide cost? If your medication is not covered by health insurance, Eli Lilly lists the price for Manjaro. This is the retail sticker price of $1,023 for a four-week supply in the U.S. That's $1,023 every four weeks. And if you're not getting any type of support from health insurance or anywhere else, for most people, that's quite a bit of money to put into it. So those are the four questions that this article suggests you talk to your doctor about if you're considering the Manjaro, which is terzepatide. This next article here is actually from the American Medical Association. And I think this is talking to doctors, but I still found it interesting. It says four ways to improve patient uptake on diabetes prevention. And basically there's a growing interest in having the medical establishment helped to try to prevent type 2 diabetes rather than just treat the chronic condition once someone already has type 2 diabetes. And they remind us here in this article that 28.5 million U.S. adults have type 2 diabetes currently, with almost 100 million having pre-diabetes currently. And those numbers are going up and up. So what they're saying here is that doctors need to be champions of prevention, usually when someone is first diagnosed with pre-diabetes is the best time to nip it in the bud, so to speak. And they recommend streamlining the referral process to endocrinologists, to those who specialize in diabetes education, diabetes prevention, things like that. Go beyond the first line of defense in your general practitioner and get to a specialist early. They say to embrace the educational and health system. In other words, spread information and get the needed knowledge out to the patients earlier. Don't wait until they have advanced disease. And then finally here they talk about emphasizing the shared savings and benefits. For example, if you can prevent diabetes, you often can prevent other things at the same time by taking the same actions, such as high blood pressure, cardiac issues. You can often avoid those as well by what you do to avoid diabetes. They often go hand in hand. So while focused towards an audience of doctors, I mean, this was presented at the AMA annual meeting in Chicago this year. But... Even so, I think it's interesting to people with, like us, not in the medical field. The third article here, now this one to me was fascinating. World first human trial, experimental hookworm infection led to improvements in type 2 diabetes patients. Now, to me, this is fascinating. Hookworm as a treatment for prediabetes and type 2 diabetes. And what they said is they did a double-blind study. They used one group with placebo, another group with a moderate level of hookworm larvae, and a a second group with a high level of hookworm larvae. And they said that insulin resistance statistically dropped in those 
who were infected with the hookworm larvae. Now, I don't know what in the world the side effects of having hookworms are. I, just the word worm in and of itself makes me a little leery. But, you know, maybe they're going to find out why and maybe they can just take some type of, I don't know, enzyme or something and use it as treatment rather than having to give the people the real live hookworms. But it says here that this early phase clinical trial provides proof of concept that infection with live hookworms is safe and appears to lead to some improvements in people's metabolic health. They even report people being in better moods, which is fascinating. And they did not control what these people ate. They did not put them on any special diet, but they saw definite improvements compared to those with placebo. And they said here that if they learn more about what these hookworms release in the body, and they say they release things into the host body to ensure their own survival, and it influences our, the host's, metabolism, what they're hoping is that they can design some protein-based treatment that mimic the effect without having to use the live worm in the host body. So I hope that didn't gross you out too much, but I thought that was fascinating. I mean, who in the world would have thought that hookworms would be used to help treat type 2 diabetes. Weird. So this last article here, this is much lighter and does not involve any kind of worms at all, but it is another trial. It says there's a call for a trial to see if kombucha could help type 2 diabetes. Now kombucha is a fermented tea-like beverage it has bacteria live and thriving in this in this drink. If you've ever seen it, it looks sort of hazy and murky because there's stuff actually living in there. And they did a little preliminary feasibility study, just a small little study, but they did notice that those folks that were given kombucha to drink every day had a lower average fasting blood glucose after a month than those who were given a placebo. So again, who knows why the kombucha lowered the blood sugar. They don't go on to say how much it lowered the blood sugar. But if you make no other change, it appears that drinking eight ounces of real kombucha every day for four weeks statistically lowered uh, the blood sugar of the participants compared to the ones who were just given a uh, placebo generic beverage to drink. So I thought that was interesting. Maybe we maybe we can all go out and have some kombucha together. That'd be fun. All right, so that's the news for this week. Hope you found that interesting like I did. I'd like to talk to you about our main topic today, and I mentioned this last week that I want to talk about this. Many of you are familiar with streaks, right? Streak refers to like a consecutive or uninterrupted series of days. I'm not talking about running nude through a football stadium. That's not that kind of streak. But doing the same thing consecutively, uninterrupted, day after day, you're repeating a specific action or habit, and it's a way of measuring consistency and progress towards a goal. Let's say you're, you want to develop an exercise habit and you, you build upon day after day of completing an exercise program, and you call that a streak, and then you do it there for three days, and then you want to do it for four days, and five days, and six days. Maybe you set a goal of doing it every day 
forever or for a month or for a year. And, and honestly, committing to a streak can really have some benefits. It certainly helps you build momentum. I mean, when you commit to a streak, you're creating a positive cycle of consistency. Each day you maintain the streak, you reinforce your commitment, your motivation, and in theory, it makes it easier to, to continue this path of habit change. You also can develop discipline. Consistently practicing a habit requires discipline, and committing to a streak helps you cultivate this important trait. As you stay committed to your streak, you strengthen your self-control and willpower, making it easier to stick to your habits in the long run. In your brain, you're actually creating new neural pathways. By repeating a behavior consistently, you begin to create new neural pathways in your brain. After time, over time, these pathways become stronger. It makes it easier for your brain to default to that desired habit rather than relying on an old, unhelpful habit. It can also boost your confidence. Successfully maintaining a streak can boost your confidence and self-belief. Each day you accomplish your habit, you prove to yourself that you have the ability to change and improve. And, of course, this sense of achievement can incredibly be empowering and motivate you to continue pushing forward. It almost becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. It can encourage long-term commitment. A streak could be weeks, days, months. can serve as a reminder of your commitment to change. When you see your streak growing, some people like to mark off a calendar or make a list or put a check mark in a box. That, that reminds you of the progress you've made. It makes it less likely for you to go give up on your habit if you're faced with a challenge or a setback. Streaks and changing habits take time and effort. But be patient with yourself. Celebrate each day you maintain your streak and use it as a source and motivation and to keep going. With dedication and consistently, you can successfully transform your habits and achieve your goals. Now here's where I say, however, even though committing to a streak can have many benefits, it's important to consider potential negative aspects as well. And this is what gets me sometime, frankly. There's about five things here. The first is obsession and perfectionism. Focusing too much on maintaining a streak can lead to an unhealthy obsession or perfectionism. If you become overly fixated on not breaking the streak, it may cause unnecessary stress or anxiety, and that can undermine your overall well-being. Yeah, you might be doing your streak, but you could have adverse negative things going as a consequence. It can also build a rigid mindset. A streak-focused mindset can make you inflexible and resistance to adaptability. Life is unpredictable. <laughs> we all run into stuff. And there may be situations where it's necessary to adjust or temporarily pause your habit. And if that builds up too much of a conflict within yourself, that can lead to issues. If you're too focused on the streak, you might feel guilty or discouraged for not being able to maintain it, even if you have legitimate circumstances for why you couldn't continue it in a particular day. Sometimes it makes us ignore the bigger picture. 
A streak can be helpful. It can be a tool for a habit change. It's important, though, to not lose sight of the larger goals or intentions behind the habit. The why. The why are you doing this? Sometimes fixating solely on maintaining the streak can distract you from the deeper reasons why you wanted to change the habit in the first place. Fear of failure. A streak-focused approach can create a fear of breaking the streak. You become overwhelmed with maintaining and, and truly in fear of not being able to maintain. And that can discourage you from taking risks or trying new things. Your fear of failure can limit your growth and prevent you from exploring different strategies, different approaches that can be beneficial in the long run. You get too focused on maintaining that one thing. It can cause a lack of flexibility and adaptation. Look, our lives are full of unexpected events and circumstances that can disrupt your routine. Focusing solely on maintaining a streak may make it challenging to adapt to these things as they come up in your life. It can make it difficult to be flexible with your habits. It is important to be able to adjust your approach when needed, rather than being solely fixated on just the streak itself. To strike a balance is crucial to maintain a healthy perspective on streaks. They can be motivating, but remember to prioritize your well-being, flexibility, and the overall purpose behind your habit change and why you started it to begin with. And this, quite frankly, is an issue that I run into. I'll take my Apple Watch, for example, and I do report on closing my rings. And once in a while, I have gone for a month-long, they call it a perfect month. I mean, there's nothing perfect about my months, but on the Apple Watch, if you do close your rings every day for a calendar month, they call it a perfect month. And to me, that's a little bit of an issue word anyway. Because again, we talked just a minute ago here about perfection. While once in a while I will go for that perfect month of closing my rings, I intentionally often don't. I have been known to, after the first week of, uh, after the first month, you know, that I close my rings for a full month, I intentionally, purposefully do not close them the first day of the following month. And that is to ensure I don't attempt to string two months in a row. Because... I do tend to get obsessive about things. Maybe that's why I am so comfortable being focused on numbers. But I'm concerned that if I get two months in a row, then I want to do three and four, and then I might think, well, why not have a perfect year? Well, perfection, at least for me, is not reality. And I don't want to get locked in. I don't want that rigid mindset. My body, my life, my type 2 diabetes diagnosis is constantly changing. No two days are alike. So what I do like to do is once I find something that's helpful to me, I do like to do it most days. Nine out of ten days, to me that's great. If you can do healthy things nine out of ten days, and as long as that tenth day isn't unhealthy, then you're fine. If on that tenth day you still get in some movement, but maybe you don't close your ring, or you still do some type of exercise, but maybe you don't complete your full exercise program on that tenth day. To me, in my opinion, and I'm not an expert, 
I'm just me. But that's fine. That's my opinion. That's the way I do it. So I intentionally don't streak. Well, I don't do that type of streaking at all. But this healthy streak, I don't do that for long periods of time. Right now, maybe once every six or eight months, I might go for a perfect month. But often I don't even go for a perfect week. There are quite a few weeks where if I've had a seven-day week, I intentionally, the first day of the following week, will not close my rings. Just because I don't want to get stuck in a rut, really, of having that streak. I tried using a streak app, and they do have apps for these streaks. You can do it right in your phone. Or the Apple Fitness displays nice charts and graphs of how long you've been closing your rings. But I, I use those almost to ensure that I don't. And again, that's just me. Other people have had healthy habits be a streak for years and years without end. And maybe that's what works for them. Maybe that's what works for you. It's a very individual thing, and it's something that you have to decide. Let's take a look at your questions this week. Well, I'm checking my inbox here, and there are no questions this particular week. But there are ways to contact me if you would like to ask a question. And I love hearing your questions. I love hearing from you. And last week we got to hear from Stephen from Glendale, but not this week, so that's okay. But if you would like to contact me, there's two easy ways to do it. The first one is simply send me an email. My email address is tom at solvingtype2diabetes.com. Shoot me an email. You can ask a question. You can make a suggestion. You can suggest an upcoming topic for the podcast. All that's great. The other ways to do it is to go over to the website, solvingtype2diabetes.com, and click on Feedback. There's a little form you can fill out. Send me in the same questions, comments, suggestions, and I'd be happy to respond and get back to you. I really appreciate that. The other thing, and here I go again, but the other thing I'm going to say that I really appreciate is if you could please share this podcast. Please share this podcast. Send them a link. Tell them how you listen to someone that you care about, someone that you think might benefit. Go ahead and share. Thanks. So what is next? Next week... I'd like to talk to you about managing medication changes. Over the past year, I've gone through several medication changes. I have removed metformin. I eventually removed Farsiga. And of course, I added Manjaro. And hopefully, I get to continue taking the Manjaro. I'm, I'm in a holding pattern right now, looking for another pre-authorization from my insurance company. But hopefully, I get that. And you know, I've had cost changes. I've had changes with my continuous glucose monitor. So I'd like to talk to you about managing those changes to your medications, because that really can affect you on how you're dealing with solving your type 2 diabetes. Well, that wraps up another episode of the Solving Type 2 Diabetes podcast. I hope you found it valuable. Please follow and leave a five-star review as it helps other people find the podcast. By subscribing, you ensure you won't miss the next episode. You can always get a full transcript of the episode at solvingtype2diabetes.com. There, you will also find the links to leave feedback and links to follow on social media. I'm very interested in hearing from you with comments and suggestions. Thanks very much for listening. 
Please remember that everything I share is just from my own personal experience and should not be taken as medical or health advice. Please consult your own medical professionals. This podcast is intended for entertainment purposes only.